Greetings and welcome to the Audio Tidbits Podcast Network. We hope you enjoy the show. I have been trying to avoid spending any time thinking about politics, economics, and the current state of things in the United States. Despite my sincere effort, I keep drifting back into the morass of commentators and politicians. It makes me wonder about how any of us can distinguish the true from the fake, the actual from snake oil. My thought process seems to be more than random but less than objective. I am somehow pulled and pushed in ways that are confusing and hard to track. The border with Mexico is a prime example. Is it merely a boundary between two countries, the door to opportunity for many of our southern neighbors, the dividing line between us and them or the entry portal for criminals and hooligans? My rational self thinks the border is a mix of all of these. The political jesting tends to focus on the criminals and hooligans, of which there are certainly some. Nearly everyone agrees that keeping them out is a very good idea. We definitely do not want more criminals and hooligans to add to the homegrown variety we already have. According to the Google guy, the US-Mexico border is just short of 2,000 miles. It's about the same as the distance from Cleveland in Ohio to Las Vegas in Nevada, or about the same as from Chicago to Los Angeles. With that perspective, imagine building and maintaining a 30-foot high wall or a shorter fence for the full 2,000 miles. Additionally, you need to make sure no one breaches the barrier. President Trump and those on Team Trump tell us that the only way to keep the criminals and hooligans out is to build and maintain the 2,000-mile wall. Our fear of the invading criminals and hooligans should be a sufficient motivation to build it now. The opposition team tells us that there are better and less expensive ways of keeping the criminals and hooligans out, although so far, I haven't heard much about what those better and less expensive ways are. They seem to have something to do with electronics and drones. My rational self tells me that either approach would probably work equally well. Either the old style wall or the new style technology would likely stop most but not all of the illegal border crossing. Either would be particularly effective at stopping children and families. The real issue is how well either would be at stopping criminals and hooligans. I suspect either approach would slow down the influx of criminals and hooligans but many if not most determined criminals and hooligans would be up to the challenge of either type of barrier. I doubt that either approach would actually reduce the number of criminals and hooligans all that much who get from there to here. Even so, either approach would likely reduce the number of good people looking for a better life who make the passage. There is another confusing element in all of this. How many people currently cross the border illegally each year? It matters since that is the number that either the president's wall or the opposition's technology is expected to reduce. I haven't heard even an estimate of how many. Further, I haven't heard how much reduction we should expect using either people's stopping approach. Focusing specifically on criminals and hooligans, how many bad people illegally cross the border each year and how much will that number reduce by way of the wall or advanced technology? For the business people among us, let's think about this. The current border security has been working fairly well for quite some time. Most but certainly not all illegal border crossing is already being prevented. Without any border security, let's say that the number of criminals and hooligans crossing the border illegally would be X. With the current security why criminals and hooligans are prevented from crossing illegally. The number still crossing is then X minus Y criminals and hooligans. Let's call that Z criminals and hooligans. The value of the wall or the technology is thus how much reduction there would be in Z and not the overall reduction in X. Do you know what the reduction in Z would be? I sure don't. I think we are getting an unhealthy dose of snake oil from the president and from the opposition as well. Both sides seem to agree that more and better security are needed, 
although it seems that we are to simply assume that there is something real to fear. What is that? Criminals and hooligans of course. Little to no attention is being given to just how much of a real problem the illegal crossing of criminals and hooligans actually is. Is it justified to spend billions of dollars to reduce a threat that has no clear definition? Is it a valid fear or little more than political snake oil? Let me share some perspective on snake oil and on snake oil peddlers. Jay Conger thought, we have found that the most effective persuaders use language in a particular way. They supplement numerical data with examples, stories, metaphors, and analogies to make their positions come alive. That use of language paints a vivid word picture and, in doing so, lends a compelling and tangible quality to the persuader's point of view. It would be easy to focus on the details of Conger's observation and miss the more interesting message. His emphasis on examples, stories, metaphors, and analogies indeed paints a vivid word picture and thus draws attention away from the compelling and tangible quality of the persuader's point which is to persuade, compellingly. The goal is to make people adopt a certain position, belief, or course of action. Sure, you are twisting somebody's arm. Were that not the plan, they wouldn't need persuaded. William Bernbach had this take on persuasive arm twisting, the truth isn't the truth until people believe you, and they can't believe you if they don't know what you're saying, and they can't know what you're saying if they don't listen to you, and they won't listen to you if you're not interesting, and you won't be interesting until you say things imaginatively, originally, freshly. No one is going to buy your snake oil, no matter how fine it is, no matter how good it is at curing everything, until you show them the truth, until they are persuaded. There is an old Chinese proverb that says, the tongue can paint what the eye can't see, and no less an authority than St. Thomas Aquinas advised, to convert somebody go and take them by the hand and guide them. Even Epicurus had a little guidance on pitching snake oil, although he likely smiled as he disguised it as philosophy, human nature is not to be coerced but persuaded and we shall persuade her by satisfying the necessary desires if they are not going to be injurious but, if they are going to injure, by relentlessly banning them. The actual pitch might have gone like this, my friends, this genuine snake oil satisfies your most important and necessary desires to relentlessly ban potentially injurious demons from your lives, not from the world as you know it. Now do you need some of that or what? Benjamin Franklin identified the cardinal element in persuasion, would you persuade, speak of interest, not of reason. Marcus T. Cicero went Franklin one better, nothing is so unbelievable that oratory cannot make it acceptable, and Joseph Conrad agreed, he who wants to persuade should put his trust not in the right argument, but in the right word. The power of sound has always been greater than the power of sense. There are just a few additional techniques you will need to round out your bag of persuasive tricks. Dale Carnegie suggested adding, there is only one way to get anybody to do anything. And that is by making the other person want to do it. How do you do that? Know that, according to Eric Hoffer, the real persuaders are our appetites, our fears, and above all our vanity. The skillful propagandist stirs and coaches these internal persuaders. Lord Chesterfield offered this tidbit, he makes people pleased with him by making them first pleased with themselves, but Ralph Waldo Emerson gave this caution, that which we do not believe, we cannot adequately say, even though we may repeat the words ever so often. It might be tempting to conclude that only those who passionately believe can passionately persuade, but there is still a lingering caveat. Don't ever underestimate the power of the dedicated snake oil huckster to persuade. It is pretty clear that the argument for what is euphemistically called enhanced border security is in the interest of relentlessly banning potentially injurious demons illegally crossing the southern border, all 2,000 miles of it. The current demons are criminals and hooligans from the south and are the cause of the multibillion dollar fear. 
at least, that is what the current crop of snake oil salespeople are peddling. The value of Z is presumably high enough to partially close the government for the benefit of reducing Z but not reducing it to zero. What will the percentage reduction be in Z should we get that enhanced security? Do you know? I sure don't. If snake oil is mostly to feed our appetites, soothe our fears and above all, justify our vanity, I ask myself who benefits most from the snake oil being peddled in support of border security beyond what we already have. I'm pretty sure it's not me.